You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. I was just thinking the other day how how long I've been doing this show. And uh, with the, the, the new presidential cycle going up, I'm getting a little sense of deja vu because we still have a ton of Republicans in the presidential race. And another item giving me deja vu is our uh, our guest co-host today, Rob Lee. I was just telling him, you remember when we were co-hosting the uh, uh, the event uh, about, I guess it was three, it was about two or two to three years ago when we were watching the returns come in from the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, the Romney race, and I think both of us had predicted a, a victory on that, and uh, inconvenience for us and the rest of the country <laughs> for that not manifesting as a uh, a truth. But uh, you know, it's been a, it's been an amazing um, you know three to four years, and uh, I think it's still very wide open right now on the Republican side. And I think that uh, Hillary looks like she's pretty much got it made over on the Democrat side. I look at her as very vulnerable, and um, you know, we've got another debate coming up. Tomorrow night, I think tomorrow night's debate. If some of these, uh, you know, afterthought candidates don't really catch on, we're going to see a lot drop out uh, during the next month. What do you think about that? Or maybe CNBC will just push the debate to six hours and hope some of them drop out just on the spot because they're tired of it. So, who knows? We might uh, fundraising numbers will will definitely have an impact on the tone the candidates take tomorrow night. Those that have been underwhelming or making staff cuts are going to try to come out firing, and those that have kind of hold the slow and steady approach will probably come out with the same consistency they have in past debates. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, the slow and steady, obviously, that I think hurt uh, Jeb Bush and Scott Walker in that first debate. It's amazing to me how much these debates are actually mattering as far as uh, candidates uh, rising and falling. We've seen Donald Trump certainly have a lot more staying power uh, than I thought, and Jeb's campaign has just, uh, he's really looked pretty pretty anemic uh, in the debates and made a bunch of gaffes while, while traveling, talking about um, you know, uh, minority issues and just a, 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 well, a wide spectrum call, of things. Calling the new uh, Supergirl hot, I think, is uh, is one of those unforced errors that <laughs> didn't even see that. One. This this day and age, <laughs> candidates really need to tighten up on a little bit. But if nothing else, what we've seen from Walker and Bush's campaign and the fact that Walker dropped out of the race and and Bush is now making significant staff cuts is that the way of constructing a campaign in the past where you spend a lot of money to prove your seriousness to the the donor class is not exactly working. And it reflects the way that that even business trends are, are going. The fact that companies are focusing on leaning out as opposed to investing heavily in in uh, staff and and systems because that's what your clients expect of you. I mean the the Toyota model I think is a is speaks volumes to how you produce quality products and in, in industry. I think it it's showing its uh, showing its way into presidential politics too. I mean 
the the lean campaign seem to be doing the best and donald trump for for how much money he has certainly hasn't blown through a whole wad of cash running for president yeah so. he hasn't i mean he hasn't spent any money um he said at first he wasn't going to raise any money but uh i think um you know this debate should be pretty formative to set the rest of the field. Um, there's several candidates that simply, I guess you can just stay around and hope you can make it into the debates and appear sporadically on whatever cable news network will pick you up. But uh, if you're not part of a, um, a national dialogue, if you're not resonating, if, if you're not... Um, Fundraising is part of it, but also just getting a volunteer support. Ted Cruz, a lot of folks, you know, uh, in the establishment, so to speak, don't like Ted Cruz. But I, I, looking at his campaign, you can say he's running a very good campaign. I mean, a a lot of them are. Uh, Rubio's running a pretty fantastic campaign. Cruz is running a pretty fantastic campaign, and and both of those. I don't think are, to be honest with you, very far off on the issues most of the time. They're certainly different in the way they present themselves on the issues and the way they present themselves to voters and the way they present themselves to potential donors. Uh, But on the same token, uh, they seem to be doing the same thing. Slow, steady, focused, efficient. That is a lesson that all of us can use in our lives and running our own companies. And, and I think they're showing what can be done in, in politics running a campaign that way. It's actually, as a Republican, it makes me very excited because it means that intellectually we're starting to get it a little bit better than we have in the past. Uh, in 2008, McCain blew through a bunch of cash and limped out of the primary. Uh, in 2012... Romney showed some flashes of it in the primary by outlasting all of these spikes in the other candidates. Right. And that, that showed some optimism until we got to get out the vote. And uh, Project Orca turned out to be an abject, abysmal failure at every level because of all the problems that went into to its development. I get a sense now that whoever the Republican nominee is, they're going to be battle-tested by a field of highly qualified candidates. I mean, top to bottom, regardless of who it is you support for president, you can honestly look at this field and say we haven't had um, a quality field like this really, well, certainly in our lifetime, but really ever. And uh, on the same token, not only are they conservative and tested within their own right, they... uh, some of them really seem to get the changing dynamics of how you campaign and how you go out there and sell yourself to voters. I'm excited to see what uh, what emerges from that. Yeah, I am too. Uh, just a little bit about Rob, in case my listeners don't remember, he, he's the newly elected uh, Georgia Young Republican chair, and congrats on that. I believe I talked to you. Uh, when you were chair elect after the uh, after the visit to the national convention, yes. you kind of put it on hold for a month or two just for uh, uh, kind of contingency or uh, contingency basis. But mm-hmm. uh, now you're all in. You're you're doing the uh, the, the traveling of the state, yep. and obviously the college Republicans. Really, the I, it, it's um, it's funny, but the college Republicans at, at every level they're the ones I'm actually finding inspiration from. And I've said this many times before, but the reason is because they're proud 
to be Republicans. They brag about it. When I oh, was yeah. at UGA back in the mid '90s, I was I wasn't in a uh, I wasn't really involved with the college Republicans. I was in a fraternity where most of us were from East Cobb, uh, so it was like the college Republicans. Isn't East Cobb itself a fraternity that say, you have to go? Like a, it was like a fraternity, it, it, or it was like the CRs, except we had more pot. But um, <laughs> you know, the CRs they, when you go to UGA or you go to North Georgia or any of the other campuses, they are actively promoting the the intellectual side of the Republican brand. Most of the ones at UGA sure. are uh, in, in foreign policy. Their, their majors are very focused on uh, policy and being able to articulate uh, concepts well. And you're seeing the younger folks kind of skew away from maybe the Tea Party. And becoming more of the establishment, and, and and a lot of times my favorite acronym gets to be used the the term rhino. Everybody's a rhino now to a very small sliver of people that claim to be Republicans. Well, it uh, I'll I'll say this: when I was a college Republican, and I was a, a chapter officer at at In CSU, Colorado, no less. Colorado State, <laughs> Colorado Go State Rams. University, absolutely. Go Bobo. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I was a chapter officer. I was a state officer in the CRs. We had nowhere near the level of a relationship that uh, that the CRs and the YRs and the state party really have with with all of us. Uh, it's it's a pretty amazing thing to see that some of the leaders of the college Republicans are trans- starting the process of transitioning out of the college Republicans mm-hmm. before they ever graduate right. and transitioning in. Well, I mean, that was one of my of goals. The, it's is part of the recruiting drive. I mean, that was one yeah. of the things that I noticed when I went and talked about uh, Uber at some of the, the places. I also kind of meant as an emissary from the, the Buckhead Young Republicans and as a board member of the Atlanta Young Republicans and said, hey, y'all, this is a great avenue for y'all to, to step into because I think we had missed out, the, you know, the pre decade on explaining exactly where to go because the UGA has always had a huge um, contingency of CRs. It was now sure. it's now that a lot of them, you know, went to work in policies and lobbyists and and stuff like that kind of right away, or they tried to get up to DC. And there wasn't a lot of uh, it, it wasn't a lot of graduation, I guess, to the wires and to the county party, which is is the the base of the grassroots, really. And that's Absolutely. how you kind of learn how to to run a campaign on a uh, you know, on a small budget where you do get the volunteers and you realize quickly why money is important because if you pay volunteers they can't just run off whenever they want to they're not <laughs> <laughs> well and it 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 goes back to uh the fact that those of us that get involved in politics aren't just getting involved because we want to elect somebody mm-hmm. oftentimes and this was certainly the case for me when I moved here it's because you want to meet new people you want to develop relationships with people that uh, you haven't ever had the chance to interact with before you meet some fantastic friends that that prop you up at bad times and and congratulate you and celebrate you during the good times and what we are doing in Georgia, I believe, should be a model for the entire country based on the way that we've done it. And that actually goes back to what uh, Megan and Will Kramer did before I was chair and before mm-hmm. Stephen Greenway was chair of the College Republicans. They had a strong relationship. They worked to make sure that relationship uh, was a good one between them personally, but also between the two organizations. And look at everything that's happening now. Yep. Uh, GYR is going to be working with the CRs to build a pipeline program. 
so that we can educate graduating college Republicans mm-hmm. about what it is that, that we do and where they can start to get involved with us when they when they leave college and go back home or go to their new home or their new job or, or whatever. Yep. That's the way we survive as a party. It isn't yelling about how conservative we are. It's about developing relationships with other conservatives, and I'm proud that we're doing that here in Georgia. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the friendship thing. I saw today, um, I'm reading the dirty details of this new budget accord where we continue to c- kick the can down the road. Apparently, uh, John Boehner said he, that he wants to clean the barn, and they've reached some accord that's going to require nearly 100% Democrat support and a bunch of uh, moderate Republicans, so to speak. And all it does is kick the can two years down the road. It raises domestic spending. Uh, It completely removes whatever was left of the sequester, which was actually the only mechanism that was keeping Mm -hmm. down the deficit. And what we hear from our Republican leaders is, oh, we've got to be the adults in the room, and oh, this is not the time to hold the debt ceiling hostage. Uh, we, We can't risk a default on the debt. Well, I would say this. Raise the debt ceiling. You now have two years to negotiate something that is palatable to the voters. Palatable? Palatable, is it, yeah. Oh, palatable. Palatable, sorry. It's like, sorry. pull out of, was, what, uh, what are you talking about, Greg? I was thinking Greg? about palatial, but uh, <laughs> sorry. I, I, I was getting palatial, and, and their palatial estates, they're telling us that we have to do this, and yet then they're going to go two more years without negotiating anything. And I think that's why people are truly frustrated with politics. Well, well, sure. And and let's be honest, we've gone six years without really truly negotiating anything. Um, I mean, it's just the absolute fact. We have a president that isn't interested in negotiating. We've we've had uh, leadership in both the Democrats and the Republicans that aren't interested in negotiating. We we as a society right now seem to, and, and conservatives especially, seem to be right now, we hate being told what we have to do. But we love telling people what it is that they have to do. And what we're seeing right now in Congress, I think, is the fruits of that after four years of Boehner and and, uh, two years of of Pelosi before that. Right. It's just what happens. We've got to kind of take a step back and Well, maybe we should start measuring expectations then. You know, sure. instead of saying we're going to change everything when we get to D.C., and then we don't. But anyway, we're going to be back with Simone Perry to uh, chat about a new project that uh, she and a bunch of other friends are engaged in in Georgia that I think is going to help push the needle even farther to the right in the great state of Georgia. Back in a couple minutes on Greg's List. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. 
Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We've got uh, the Georgia Young Republican President. Is it chairman or president? Chairman. Chairman. But, I mean, he does the roles of president, emperor, uh, any any other kind of... um, don't don't put that consolidated don't put that on me. consolidated power mechanism you can put in there. But to joining us in the studio today as we are live and uh, talking, we've been prefacing a little bit about uh, presidential politics, but wanted to localize it a little bit. We have uh, Simone Perry joining us today, and uh, Simone, we've uh, chatted many times uh, out in public at events, but uh, you're a first time caller on Gregsis. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm glad you were able to fit the uh, fit the uh, call in on your schedule today. Now, you've got an exciting new project with several of my favorite people that are uh, putting this thing together. I've actually... Oh, they're awesome. M- Michael Roundtree was on a bus with me for 12 straight hours, so you you can imagine oh, wow. that um, he was quite happy to get off that bus. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I figured So anyway, so much, You know him better than I do. Yeah. Well, uh, I was about to say, great guy, and you've got another... It looks like a good team assembled here. Tell us a little bit about the the project that you're getting going and getting launched right now. Definitely. So in the last couple of months, we formed a Georgia Black Conservative Caucus. We are hoping to be the state branch of what will become a national organization. We've been reaching out to some other states so far. We're basically just trying to do um, what I think the party has been trying to do for the last five or ten years, but I believe that we have the power to do it. Um, we are blacks, African-Americans, however else you would like to, to call us, um, of African descent, and we just believe that as conservatives and as Republicans, we would like to be the minority engagement vehicle of choice for our community. I think that it's really only us who can do it, who can have that big impact. And so we have formed a 501c4. We'll hopefully have a 501c3 before next year or Christ's second coming. I guess it just depends on the federal government and how they choose to operate. But we're going to be a very community service-oriented and political vehicle um, in Georgia. And we want to get like-minded people elected. We want to get people elected who represent our values. Um, and we also want to be a big force for change in our own community, hands-on change. Um, you know, not just wine tastings every couple of months, which I think has been the, the precedent. Well, just don't put conservative in your name, even though Lois Lerner's gone. We're still dealing with the Obama IRS. So, uh, yeah, you might, that's very true. You might be scrutinized a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly, oh, clearly there's opportunities. Uh, Rob has taken over as chair of the Georgia Young Republicans. This group, is this group um, uh, going to compete or work in tandem with the Georgia Black Republican Council, or is it an offshoot? Because I've been. Um, yeah, well, no, we're definitely not an offshoot or an original organization. The Republican Council, um, I think about 
10 or 15 years ago, and at one point, which was a very prominent organization, was chartered by the, the RNC itself. At this point, there is no charter. They've lost that charter. Okay. Um, so if there's going to be an official branch of the organization, it will probably be that council, but right now they're just a website. So what, what we kind of realized um, as young people, as activists, I don't know if you know everybody in leadership, but we have a veteran, we have a religious leader. Um, Travis is a party official, Travis Siegel. Um, I work in the conservative side and I'm a political fundraiser. So we have a huge gamut of leadership. Um, and we don't want to miss out on the 2016 elections just because we're not basically organized and ready to be a big vehicle for change. So we've got some really exciting endorsements. If you're able to come out to our event tonight, you'll figure out who those endorsements are. Um, and we're going to kind of just use it and ride this wave into next year um, to kind of be that hub because right now there's just no organized force um, for minorities that's kind of trying to take this on. Well, if you read the tea leaves, everybody's predicting Georgia and some other southern states will be tilting purple eventually, or maybe the Republicans can get off their ass and say, you know what, why are we missing (laughs) votes from these groups? Is it because we're we're not talking about the issues they're interested in, we're talking above them, we're not actively engaging with them in the community, or all of the above? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything, and it's a huge problem. Messaging always comes up um, as a problem, as a reason why the Republican Party is in this spot. It's just inadequate messaging or a messaging that's not competitive enough. Um, Representation is another issue. Um, I mean, the more people that you see that look like you that are doing a certain thing, the, the more legitimate you believe that it is if you belong to a minority group. So that's also come up, and that's been an issue. I think Dr. Carson, now that he's number one in the Iowa polls and a couple of other polls, is doing something about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, it really just takes, I think, um, internal change. So it, as appreciative as we are of the RNC's efforts to kind of do the growth and opportunity efforts and, and really get into certain states and make a change for minority communities, it's just not possible without those minorities. Um, that's, that's my personal belief, and I, I feel op- an obligation to my community and to the philosophy of conservatism, which I believe in and I practice and I lead my life by, um, to make this effort. So it, it really is it's about us. It's on our shoulders. It's not up to anybody else. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard when the RNC is trying to dictate stuff from D.C. with mostly older white yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the party is designed to do a, a few things, but community outreach and community engagement and changing the philosophies that live within a certain community, that's beyond their scope. Um, yeah. Now, so last it's year, really something that's up to us. Simone, last election cycle, um, David Perdue and... Uh, uh, gov- re-elected Governor Nathan Deal both made very active uh, efforts reaching, um, you know, trying to reach new voters in the black community. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I really don't like the, the, the term outreach just as, that's a dated term in my opinion. I know we still need to use it, but it's something that we need to kind of kind of fix well, to and be, tweak And to their bit, credit, right? it's probably why they're so popular. I mean, I think Governor Deal and especially Senator Purdue is very popular amongst African Americans and it's probably because of those efforts. I mean, effort by itself um, will put you ahead of the game when the bar is this low. <laughs> so I, and I don't think there's a bad way to try to reach out at all. Yeah, but so if we're, you know, we were at five percent, and I'm not sure if we have a hundred percent verification that they doubled it to ten percent. But that's kind of the the rumor in the margin of victory that both Deal and Purdue <laughs> you enjoyed. You sound skeptical, Greg. Why do you sound so skeptical? Well, I, it, it's just, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it, the exit polling might have been a little off. Rob, I mean, you you do uh, consulting for as a as a profession. What do you do? You think those are? It's accurate that we doubled the vote, or I mean, that number I mean, just yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, it's tough. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Rob. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I I think anecdotally you see what the Republican Party has done just by virtue of the fact that uh, Simone and Travis are taking the initiative to get this organization off the ground. Uh, You look at the fact that Travis's 
uh, a vice chairman in DeKalb County. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in, in relationships and what we were talking about between the CRs, and Simone, this is really my question for you, mm-hmm. is, um, you know, those relationships are becoming stronger inside the party to where it is that that people are becoming more active than they have before of all types. Um so along those lines, I mean, how, how is the foundation of this organization going to be uh, used to interact with those other conservative caucusing group caucuses or organizations yeah. in, in the party in general? Definitely. For me, I am a Republican. I've always voted Republican. Um, uh, you know, so for us, it's, it's definitely not a matter of being a fringe organization. There's, there's enough of those. We would definitely like to partner with organizations whenever, whenever we can, as often as it's appropriate. I just don't believe in, in working twice as hard when there are people who are already, already working at certain avenues. Even with the community service element I was talking about earlier, um, we don't have the manpower to take that on, but there are already really great institutions in place that are mm-hmm. in Georgia that focus on young people, that focus on urban communities with South South and East DeKalb, South Fulton, that are already got their hands in there. So we're really looking to form the most valuable partnerships that we can and help them and expand upon them. Um, definitely not. Definitely don't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, I don't believe that that's productive. So especially for GYR, which is very, very, very huge as an organization, and I'm a member, and, you know, I definitely know and follow you very, very well. So I hope that we do have the opportunity for a partnership. Um, but where there's already an entity in place that's technically a Republican entity, I think that's fine. It was really important for me to identify us as conservatives so that we could reach a huge audience, so that we were not being minimized by one or two members of the party that have rubbed off and rubbed people the wrong way. I think if you're a Republican, you've got those one or two people that have rubbed you the wrong way, and we don't want to have to take on those burdens as well while we just spread a message that is really, really needed. You mean everybody is not 100% acceptable in the Republican Party to 100% of the electorate? That is shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, we can't even get a Speaker of the House elected. So it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I, now that's on, the, that's on the federal level. But uh, what, I, what I like to look at is that there is a, a sense of teamwork, a sense of unity uh, here in Georgia at least. And, and finally, people are realizing that, you know, it goes back to that saying, what, success has a thousand fathers and failures and orphan. If we're all doing well, then it's okay for all of us to take a little bit of the credit. And oh, yeah. uh, I think that that's been something that's been Absolutely. missing. Where we've had groups that want to say, oh, well, you know, I don't want to partner with them. I want to make this my event. And um, to me, you know, there's safety in numbers. Well, yeah, it, absolutely. it goes back to what I was just saying about 10 <laughs> minutes ago, right? We as conservatives hate being told what to do by other people, but damn, we love telling people what to do. <laughs> and at the point where we start to get get people of the mindset saying I will tell you what I think you should do at the appropriate time and I will listen to what I think or what you think I should do at at the appropriate time Mm -hmm. I think that's what we do here in Georgia pretty well and and I can't wait to work I mean hopefully I'll be able to uh, I should be able to attend a little bit tonight for this uh, kickoff meeting so uh, stopping by as well shaking some hands and drinking some cold beer with uh some of my favorite people. One, I please, gotta ask please. you this: some of what is the, if you could pick one issue, one salient issue in the black community that Republicans should be talking about? What do you think we should adopt as kind of our our in for the black community? I think that it's economic. I think that what the party has done wrong for the last maybe 40 years has been trying to hone in to black churches as a means of reaching the black community. I don't want to minimize that as a Christian. That's even kind of hard to say, but I think that when it comes to millennials and this next generation of, of black people, 
who are graduating college and not being able to find a job, economics is going to be the crux of it. I think finding black entrepreneurs, which are rampant in the city, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, and also in the state, black entrepreneurs, black small business owners, black sole proprietors, going into the black business community is the way, in my opinion, to perpetrate the whole community. I think that our values are totally applicable. And if we want to talk about taxes and less regulation and freedom and growth and opportunity, it's got to be economic. We have to steer away from the idea that that the moral argument is going to carry all 45 million people because it's just not. (laughs) Yeah, and the other thing that Republicans need to realize is uh, more than 65% of uh, black folks are actually middle class or higher. So they, uh, it's it's a much stronger economic base, and I think that uh, some of our party leadership has uh, dealt with, and as you said, the entrepreneurial spirit, especially in uh, in Georgia, is alive and well. And business, yeah, pe- bis- the language of business is really kind of a, an international language. Uh, oh yeah, we see international transactions going on, and uh, and we, we can leverage that on the uh, the domestic side as well, where we can say, what do we have in common? Instead of looking at the differences, and I know this is cliche and trite, but instead of focusing on differences and trying to change minds, say, you know what? We're eighty percent right on, or eighty percent in agreement on this stuff. Let's work on the other part. But uh, for right now, don't you think our economic plan is going to be better for y'all in the long run? Oh, and, I, yeah. and I think that's what's going to going to resonate going forward. Well, Simone Perry, looking forward to seeing you tonight at the kickoff event, which is at a secret invite only location. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> hey, we're, we're we're blogging and tweeting about it right now. But anyway, that's going to be a really exciting event, and uh, looking forward to seeing you tonight. Thank you, Simone. Awesome. Thank you, Greg. All right. And we're going to go ahead and take our 2.30 break here, and we'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Don't be hoodwinked by the left, who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. 
Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live. Just uh, finished up a great interview with Simone Perry, and uh, that uh, organization sounds like it's uh, it's going to get off the ground. And I think that's kind of what we need to to figure out. Rob, as I mentioned before, you're you're you know into the campaign business, political consulting, messaging. Isn't shouldn't we be asking? Uh, the voters what what they want instead of just thinking Absolutely. or shaking the uh, magic eight ball saying what what should we talk about um doubtful well, doubtful well it it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the the Toyota model right I mean the reason GM and and Chrysler well the reason Chrysler is owned by Italians and GM went bankrupt even though the federal government said they wouldn't with a bailout <laughs> was because they started building crap that nobody wanted to buy anymore right. On the other hand, Toyota had been doing that for, for decades, and, and Ford started to wisen up and build cars that people wanted to buy. And now, all of a sudden, these car companies seem to survive. The same thing goes for politics, too. We, for the longest time, have been in this environment where you could tell voters what's important to them and just give them enough for, for them to chew on, and 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 that was good. Uh-huh. Right, but we live in an environment now where you don't have to go to the power brokers for information. You don't have to go to the power brokers to make sure things get done. You, there are a lot of workarounds. So, for politics to really survive, and for the Republican Party really to survive, we need to get into this mindset of providing consumers of what we what we sell to buy what we sell. It's just as simple as that. Uh-huh. And the fact is, is that we're in an environment where every year millennials are becoming a larger percentage of the population. In fact, they're the largest percent of the share of the population now overtaking baby boomers, I think, as of last year. And and those of us that are millennial or not millennial, but maybe on, on the border, uh, we look at the world a little bit differently. We grew up with cable television. We grew up with... You grew up with Will and Grace. Will and Grace. We grew up with... with all kinds of different avenues for getting information. Um, might as, we, we've got to start thinking yeah. about that. Well, and, that and, and, and this is—I th- I think that Black Conservative Caucus is probably one example of people doing what the modern world is starting to do: mm-hmm. seeing a niche, filling the niche, and and hoping to, with an entrepreneurial spirit, make that niche larger. Yeah. And engaging so. people on economics because um, you know there's always going to be social issues that are polarizing. In fact, the abortion issue is actually skewing back to a uh, right-wing thought, which is uh, limiting abortion. But, unfortunately, that gets messaged as the war on women. So it's always difficult to, um, to deal with social issues, especially since the country is very divided on most of them, 50-50. Sure. I think if you ask most people in the country, do you think $19 trillion national debt is a problem? I mean, you're going to have 90% of people that are going to say you, yes. Yeah. Now, it's how do you solve that where we have the differences of opinion. For college for college students and, and new grads, we're, they're going to say that student debt is, of course, a problem. But the Democrat solution or the socialist Democrat Bernie Sanders who says, let's just make it free – I would think that most of our colleges are graduating students that realize that things aren't aren't free. free yeah. So, and that, in my opinion, actually devalues a college education. Oh, it absolutely. If everything does. is free, and so that is something that we can talk about rationally, and I think we can win that. And that's well, an economic argument, and in every the Democrats like to talk about fairness. I think that's a fairness argument abso- on, on our absolutely. side. Absolutely. I mean, we we constantly complain 
about the fact that our, our public schools before college are some of the worst in the industrialized world. And by and large, they, they are compared to other school systems. Yet, we spend more per student than any other country in the world except for maybe Switzerland, mm-hmm. depending on the, the statistical year. Don't you just look forward to Bernie Sanders making our colleges the 43rd best in the world <laughs> yeah. by making them free? We're but, 43rd. But, but it, it, at some level, though, we, we even conservatives have to step back and say not everybody thinks like that. Not everybody thinks the same way. We have to show a little bit more patience when talking with people that we've never talked to before that we've never built a relationship with before. Because I can also tell you this. You're more likely to persuade a liberal that you're right if they trust you mm-hmm. as a person, as an individual. And I keep – when I whenever I've been at, around to almost a dozen different county party functions and Republican women functions, and the same thing I tell everybody is that for a voter under the age of 40, there are two important questions you ask. None of them deal with political identification. What's your name and what's important to you? And from the answer of those two questions, you can do a lot more good for the Republican Party than you can by force-feeding them your opinion on economics. Again, it goes back to we love telling other people what's important. We love telling other people what it is that they need to think, Mm -hmm. what's smart and what's stupid. Why don't we just step back and start caring about the way people view the world and how it is that we can help them, and I think we'll we'll go a long way. And that's what I see this this black conservative caucus making that effort to do. Actually, show that we care enough about people in their name and what that means than than anything else. Right. And that's how that's how we'll win because it's the one thing we've done such a poor job of doing. Uh, certainly since I was a, a college Republican 15, 16 years ago. Yeah, so. well, I mean, every meeting you go to now, especially if it's a county GOP, Ronald Reagan is still the uh, the grand saint. And frankly, the definition of millennial is people that were born after he was president. That's one of the yeah, definitions. Yeah, absolutely. So, so if we're conjuring up uh, images of, uh, of Reagan the saint, then... Um, you know, unfortunately, I think that's fallen on deaf ears now, especially since we're in such a, you know, uh, a, a instant gratification world now where you're supposed to be able to find anything immediately on social <laughs> media or, um, or uh, another Internet or a website. You're supposed to be able to have instantaneous access to information and to have to dig around and, and listen to why Reagan is so revered in the Republican Party. I think it's it really it, people are desensitized to that right now. Well, sure. And, and say, what have you done for me lately world, isn't it? I don't necessarily think that's quite the case that everybody makes it out to be. I mean, I think that's an easy, again, it's an easy cop-out for conservatives to say why they're losing the argument, that people just want instant gratification and they don't pay attention to information. The fact is, is that people are very smart when you give them the opportunity to be. And even though there's a lot of people out there that we see on videos that that have dumb answers to very obvious questions like on Waters World on, I love on that thing. Jimmy Fallon or, or whatever, <laughs> uh, people know how to process information. They are overloaded with information from a variety of different sources these days, and the people that we need to be talking to 
We just don't ever engage in it. The fact is, is I again, we have to, as conservatives and Republicans, worry about the 99% of the people that aren't in the room as much as the 1% of the people that are in the room. Of course. You and that look at a broader swath <clears throat> of community. So even if, you, you know, when uh, Paul Brown was going to the events um, when he was running for Senate, he would be able to get standing ovations when he talked about shutting down the Department of Education and the Department of Energy. And, and we could probably look at it and make a case for it. Sure. But when you say that to folks that are armchair Republicans or armchair Democrats, it, it can sound uh, crazy. Or, uh, yeah, frankly, absolutely. It can, it can sound like you don't care about education. And, and to get into the weeds and say, well, we want the money returned to the states, that turns very policy wonkish. And I don't want us to be a bunch of simpletons, but if you look at Donald Trump, make America great again. He is dumbing down a message, but also making it... Uh, appealing to a broad swath of people. And I don't know how many are true Donald Trump supporters or if they're just answering robocall polls on a telephone or uh, doing the good old-fashioned well, Ron Paul uh, internet polling. But uh, we'll, we'll we, we, don't, we don't know. But he 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 is inarguably polling at the top of the Republican Party right now. And he's not uh, boring people with um, you know, I would say Kasich and Rubio have been far more Cerebral, I guess, in their, uh, sure. their campaign, but um, you know, it's uh, they're twenty points behind right now. Well, and and again, <laughs> it's uh, it's almost November. We've got two two and a half months before. Less the than first. A, it's actually less than a hundred <clears throat> days. So you know, they well, less can, than a hundred days. But can, Howard Dean in two thousand four was cleaning the Democratic field's clock, and everybody was saying about John Kerry, he's he's. You know, cerebral and boring and and unmotivating, mm-hmm. and then two things happened the night of the Iowa caucuses. We're pundits started. Yeah. We're about to play that. Scream. That was that was the one that that I love watching That's over and over and over again. Uh, but the pundits that night were starting to say that maybe voters have a little bit more punditry in them than than we assume. Who knows what's going to happen in Iowa, right? I I, I think we demonstrated Is three Iowa years also ago. Now, I mean, do do, do we need to consider, worry more about New Hampshire and South Carolina than Iowa, or is Iowa still extremely important? Um, yes, to all of the above. Okay, right. I mean, again, it goes back to the dynamics of the modern world. It's not that that first caucus is not as determinative determinative. Boy, we're both having a problem with words today. Well, you have to talk uh, for now we're straight. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not as it's not as determining of the results as it used to be. Right? That's why the straw poll doesn't exist anymore, but we have that... The peanut the, poll. The, the, the peanut poll. And D's Nuts was polling at 10% in North Carolina just to keep on an Ex- almond motif. Ex- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And uh, I think in my fantasy football league, he's now the uh, leader of my division, too. That's great. Um, So these nuts is on top. All over the place. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how to follow that up, Greg. Touche. But uh, all of that said, it... The dynamics are certainly different than they were 12 years ago. Mm, uh, Fully fully guarantee that. But on the same token... To counter you a little bit. people, People are smart. Okay. If people are engaged in a way... That is intelligent. The problems that, that Bush is having is reflective of the fact that I, this is personal opinion, I don't necessarily think his campaign has always been that intelligent. And something my, my stepmom is always drilled into my head 
was you never argue with idiots because they'll always beat you with experience. <laughs> if you're going to try to beat Donald Trump, the last person you want to be is Donald Trump right. because he's going to be better at it than you. That's why I think Rubio and Cruz are doing as well as they can because they've been themselves throughout this entire process. Mm-hmm. Trump has been himself throughout this entire process. Ben Carson has been himself. Scott Walker throughout was this entire like a, a breeze. Oh yeah, they, they basically threw a, a leaf out to see which way the wind was blowing. Yep. And I guess his campaign said, "You know what? You need to battle <clears throat> Trump." And again, like you said, you, you, you wrestle with a pig, you both get dirty. Exactly. That's what we say I mean, in the South. and I'll tell you this: my mother is not a Republican voter by any stretch of the measure. She'll probably vote in the Republican primary, and she likes Christie. She's a rhino. It, probably. <laughs> probably. Well, She's some weird beach hippie from Texas. Let's take our uh, our last break here. I wanted to uh, talk. I, um, I'm behind uh, Paul Ryan now for speaker, and I've heard the cavalcade of me being called a rhino. But uh, I have a pretty good argument for it, and uh, we'll talk about that when we get back. And uh, you are listening to Greg's List only on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy, no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live. I have a special treat for my listeners. We were mentioning Howard Dean, and actually uh, 
Uh, Todd Ream from Georgia Pundit posted a selfie with him and Howard Dean today, and I made the comment that Howard Dean is actually the ringtone on my cell phone for certain people that I don't want to answer. But I was able to dig dig up this. Now, me and Rob were having fun during the, the break, reminiscing and talking about this being kind of the first Greatest YouTube. political moment in <laughs> history. <laughs> and that's not hyperbole, folks. But it so, is the greatest. There you go. <laughs> that was Howard Dean, folks. We, you know, I may have to do that one more time. Oh gosh! Because yeah, that's, I mean, the greatest political moment in history. So that's when a soundbite can make or break, and in this case, break. Um, tonight we've got, or tomorrow night we've got the third Republican debate put on by CNBC. I um I think that'll be talking about economic issues, right? I mean, you would think that the business arm or wing of NBC and, and the moderators of it that, that I looked at, they are business leading. So I w- I'm hoping we'll hear about tax policy, uh, how to pay down the debt, sure. Um, what uh, you know the the role of regulations in business, um, all the stuff that I think Republicans could have a really good argument for. Now, will they? I don't know. We'll we'll see tomorrow. Well. There'll be ten people on stage, even if they do have a good argument. Do you think it's really going to matter? There's 120 minutes, ten candidates with commercial breaks. I mean, you're talking about at most eight minutes per candidate if everybody was equal. That's not even going to be the case. I, hopefully, after the debate tomorrow night, we get uh, get some calling of the of the candidates at some level. Not because I want to see candidates fail, but just because want those choices yeah, to consolidate. For, time for, and I don't want to call any of them non-serious candidates, but I, I think uh, I think a Rand Paul, I, I think it's safe to say this is not his uh, time. Sure. Uh, maybe that, maybe it, not. I, I mean, mean, well, it, I, I think it's clear it's not his time. And that's, you know, somebody that, um, you know, is a compelling character. But, I, you know, I think his role is back in the Senate, and it looks like thing, he may have a tough go in, uh, in Kentucky, actually. So I would imagine uh, he'll be dropping out uh, sometime soon. Um, who, else is, who else is looking to drop out? Of course, Trump isn't. Carson isn't. Rubio isn't. Jeb, I've read rumors of, of him. Yeah, there was rumors, out. Internet rumors, that um, he was going to drop out yesterday. They were true. about. Well, I mean, I would think it would be foolhardy to jump out before this debate. Oh, sure, I mean, of course. That was, of that course. was just silliness. But, uh, but I wanted to talk about um, the, the turmoil in D.C. And, you know, the Democrats are loving to see this uh, circular firing squad in the Republican Party where Boehner left and uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy was, was shot down as uh, speaker. And now Paul Ryan, by what it looks like, has made some uh, Faustian bets with, with folks and some, some agreements. And he should be the Speaker of the House as of Thursday. I'm a fan of it. Why? Because you Paul Ryan is a likable guy. Maybe not to 20% of the far-left liberals, but in general, he's a likable guy. And you're going to vote for who you like. You're going to listen to at least somebody you say, you can say Paul Ryan has credibility on economic issues. You may not agree with him, but he's credible. Well, oh yeah, no, certainly he's intelligent, he's well-spoken, he's charismatic. Um, He looks like Jake Gyllenhaal. I I mean, mean, he's he's got the qualities. (laughs) Lady swoon for Paul Ryan. Yeah. Uh, Hey, girl. (laughs) You know, my thought initially was I would have loved to see Paul Ryan stay as chairman of Ways and Means because I thought that's where his brain and his intellect could be best mm-hmm. used. 
Um, I've since come around and thought, okay, maybe I'm I'm more amenable to the idea of Paul Ryan being speaker mm-hmm. because of the way that the vast majority of, of congressmen are now showing some optimism, not at his stance on issues mm-hmm. per se, but on the way that he wants to be able to reform the methodology that the House uses to pass legislation and debate legislation. And I think the process is important. I mean, I was at uh, Barry Laudermilk's fundraiser on Saturday, and he actually provided a lot of detail as to why he thought Paul Ryan is at least worthy of consideration at this point in terms of being speaker because of his emphasis on changing the process about legislation. And ultimately, the biggest problem we've seen in Congress goes back to what we were talking about before. Nobody trusts anybody. Everybody wants to yell about what it is other people should do. And and that goes for if you I hate using these terms, but the Tea Party crowd and the establishment crowd. Right. They're guilty of the same thing. They're just saying different things. And which is why there may be um, which a is, little bit of a trust gap. It, right? it, well, it, yeah, inevitably you're not going to trust somebody who doesn't do what you tell them to do. And if that's the way you look at it, then inevitably they're not going to trust you back. Well, Paul Ryan seems to have the idea that we start building trust by focusing on things that takes the emotion out of decision-making, which is what conservatives should be great at. We should be the ones driven by rationality and a focus on process and the ability to let people be themselves and accept. I mean, people are going to accept the results if their bills fell, if there's a fair shot. If your bill gets voted down on the floor, generally a conservative, if the process was fair, would stand back and say, I screwed up because of this. I need to do this better to get this bill passed next time. That's what we should be encouraging our members to do. It seems to me that Paul Ryan has demonstrated, at least initially, that he's uh, committed to doing that for both the uh, side of the, the caucus that was were fans of Boehner, and uh, for the side of the caucus, they, they weren't fans. Were they fans of Boehner or scared of Boehner? For lack of better term. Okay. Right, uh, for Boehner lack of better fanboys, term. Boehner fanboys, fan, fan boners. I mean. Um, I, uh, I, I, the problem was Boehner ran, ran such a top-down organization. They were strategically inept at every yes. level. The only thing, they, they could not message anything. Bear, uh, you know, I, I used the word boorish uh, the other day, and uh, a couple of people gave me a little hell on about that term because I thought I was being patronizing. But I really, if you, if you look at the word, it, it's a very descriptive of Republican congressional leadership the past few sure. years where they lost well, every strategic battle except when we actually got the sequester through. And once they started giving that up, Obama said, I'm dealing with a bunch of you know people that um, you know they can't control their own caucus and they're really not going to, I'll shut down the government, I'll shut down the White House, and I'll blame the Republicans. Well, it's sure. almost like a Trumpism. Really. Sure. I mean, well, well, it's in I'll the shut truth, down the White House and make the Republicans pay for it. That's be, because, in truth, Republicans—not establishment, not leadership, not Tea Party, not Freedom Caucus—Republicans in general were boorish. I mean, it—it it is something we, as a party, have been guilty of for far, far too long. And it's it's something that gets me a little bit animated because I'm sick of hearing about everything that somebody else does wrong. 
<laughs> Nobody's ever willing to stand up and say, this is what I've done wrong, this is what we've done wrong, and that's what I think Paul Ryan is doing a darn good job of saying. We need to move away from a party of opposition to one of propositions. Start being an idea factory. Start debating. Start being able to admit that maybe we don't know everything and that somebody else might be a little bit smarter than us. Paul Ryan is finally showing what Republicans can do, at least in the initial stages before he becomes Speaker. By God, I hope that becomes a reality when he is Speaker, because I think it means that we as a party will be unstoppable. And I think that we can vote on bills, send them to the president, and let him veto it, instead of, uh, you know, some of the the gamesmanship and backdoor dealings and... uh, um, not using the power of the purse, so to speak. Not uh, not using the majorities. I remember it was such a battle. We've got to have David Perdue win. We've got to take back the Senate. And now that's why people get a little bit disenfranchised, or they feel disenfranchised, because all these things happen. And now we hear the excuses. Oh well, we we can't. We have to raise the debt ceiling. We already wrote those bills, and they say it every. Time. Sure. So now is the time to start the negotiations for two years from now. If this budget deal goes through that they're talking about, Republicans want it off the table for the next election. I get it. It's not supposed to be a distraction. But but if we keep perpetually pushing it off, then it, who who cares if we have the, the no president? no and and look, I mean, the problems aren't going to be solved as soon as we get a next speaker anyway. It's right. going. It, Rome wasn't built in a day. It also didn't fall in a day. And I would tell you, and I'm going to use this as a as a very awkward but clear transition point uh, to I the like last thing I would awkward. like to say, is that uh, the Rebel Alliance were not a big group of people, but they always had focus and they were always moving in the positive direction, which is why two Death Stars were destroyed and speaks volumes about what it is the young Republicans are doing here in Georgia with our uh, big event coming up on December 19th. So the uh, I noticed the uh, during the show the GAGOP sent out a uh, an email to the party and uh, shared that information with everybody about uh, GYR 2016, our private screening of Star Wars the morning after it opens, and uh, I think if we that's have not that the same, title it's called the Force Awakens <clears throat> the Force Awakens the but that's yeah, exactly that's called indecent proposal that that is true that is true which we will not be having a private screening of <laughs> in it, ever uh, but it's a great event <clears throat> and I think for us as GYR it represents the larger things that I think you're finally seeing the Republican Party move towards. Mm-hmm. Building an environment where all Republicans are welcome to come be themselves, contribute their ideas, build those relationships, and move the party forward. Yep. I think Paul Ryan will do it as speaker. GeorgiaYR.gop. And if you're on any of the mailing lists, you just got uh, mailed from the state party about this great event. I'm going to be there. I'm dressing up as Bane uh, as a little bit of uh, cross programming, but uh, not cross dressing. Anyway, thank you all for listening to. Today. We'll be back next week on Greg's List, and uh, y'all stay safe. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.